After Scott Adams' racial remarks get his comic booted from newspapers across America, Elon Musk calls the media racist. Dwayne Wade's son is transitioned against the will of his mother, and the media celebrate. And Joe Biden says you better have a child care plan if you want to manufacture microchips in America. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Hey, hey, and welcome. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Do you like your web history being seen and sold to advertisers? No, me neither. Get ExpressVPN right now at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, folks, racism is just fine so long as it is directed against one group of people. In the United States, if you direct racism against black Americans, that, of course, is verboten, is very bad, and you'll have your career ended. And there's a strong case that that ought to be the case because racism is bad. Okay? The simple fact of the matter is that when you say racist things, there will be penalties attached societally to saying racist things. Now, the problem is that the left has expanded out the definition of racist to include pretty much anything and everything in American life. They've actually expanded out the definition of racism to include simply pointing out disparities in outcome between different racial groups. But put that aside for a second. We all generally agree that racism is bad, but the left doesn't actually agree with that. The left actually believes that racism is good so long as it is directed against white people. And this has been a long time coming in American life, unfortunately. This was pointed out by Elon Musk yesterday to the great consternation of the media. So just to rewind for a second, Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, he said some racist stuff. The stuff that he said was he was looking at a poll. This poll suggested that only 53% of black Americans said it was okay to be white. Or do they agree with the sentiment, it's okay to be white? Some 26% of black Americans suggested that they disagreed with the sentiment or the statement, it's okay to be white. Now, as I said yesterday, this may be a semantically overloaded phrase because it is possible to read into the phrase more than just it's okay to be white. It could be reading into the phrase, you know, something more racially tinged than simply, I'm okay with you existing. But put that aside for a second. What Scott Adams then said about that polling data is he suggested that black people as a whole were a hate group, which of course is indeed racist because you can't extrapolate based on 26% of people saying a thing that even you interpret as racist, that the entire group is racist, nor can you suggest that, the, that you shouldn't live near black people, which is what then Scott Adams went on to say, right? That is what he said in his comment. Now, as I pointed out yesterday, what he said was in fact racist. Also, it is worth noting that if you took the word black and you substituted the word white in Scott Adams's actual statement, what you would end up with is something that would get you featured on mainstream media as genius level commentary. Because the simple fact of the matter is that the media is totally fine with the anti-white racism. Here's a direct quote from Scott Adams, but I switched out the races. Quote, if nearly half of all whites are not okay with black people, according to this poll, not according to me, according to this poll, that's a hate group. I don't want to have anything to do with them. And I would say, based on the current way things are going, the best advice I would give to black people is to get the hell away from white people. Just get the F away because there is no fixing this. Now, when I say it with the races switched, everybody on the left just starts nodding because unfortunately, the hard left has decided that racism is just fine so long as it is directed at white people. Now, one person who made this point yesterday was Elon Musk. Elon Musk is not allowed to make these points because Elon Musk is, of course, the richest man in the world and also the owner of Twitter. And people in the media are very angry at Elon Musk for pointing out the obvious which is that you can fully acknowledge Scott Adams' racism and still also recognize that the media would be totally fine with Scott Adams' racism if it was directed in precise reverse at white people. According to the Wall Street Journal, Elon Musk has suggested the U.S. media is racist against white and Asian people as he appeared to defend the creator of the Dilbert comic strip. Well, that's actually not precisely what happened. So there was a, a response to an article posted by the San Francisco Chronicle detailing the saga. And Musk wrote, the media is racist. Quote, for a very long time, U.S. media was racist against non-white people. 
Now they're racist against whites and Asians. Same thing happened with elite colleges and high schools in America. Maybe they can try not being racist. So he's not actually defending what Scott Adams said. What he is saying is that the media are totally fine with racism so long as it's directed at people who are higher up on the intersectional hierarchy or more powerful on the intersectional hierarchy. Remember, for the left, there is a hierarchy of human value. It's really quite disgusting. Rooted in the notion of intersectionality. So the original theory of intersectionality, as articulated by Kimberly Crenshaw, was supposed to be a very specific legal theory. It's kind of like critical race theory. It starts off as a legal theory, and then it suddenly gets blown up by its proponents into something much larger. So the, the basic idea of intersectionality is that people treat people of different races differently and also treat people of different sexes differently. And what this means is that if you are a black woman, you are treated differently than a black man, for example. That any system that doesn't take into account disparities between black women and black men is ignoring one aspect of identity that complicates the, that complicates the picture. That, I suppose, is, is inarguable to a certain extent. I mean, the simple fact is that black women are treated in American society differently than black men because women are treated differently than men. And presumably, black women are treated differently than white women, but only in certain contexts, because as it turns out that if you actually adjust for family family structure and you adjust for income level, black women perform equally or better than white women in a wide variety of circumstances. Okay, put all of that aside. The basic point of intersectionality, as Kimberly Crenshaw originally articulated, has been put aside in favor of this idea that in American society, the more intersectional checkboxes you tick, the more victimized you are. And what that means is if you have many intersectional victim checkboxes ticked, then you cannot victimize anyone who has fewer intersectional checkboxes ticked. So if you are a black woman and you say something terrible about a white woman, this is not a form of discrimination. It's totally fine because black women have more checkboxes than, than white women do. White women are just women. Black women are both black and women. And this holds true throughout the intersectional hierarchy. So if you're a white person and you're racist against Asians, this means that you're terrible and racist because Asians are more diverse than you. But if you're a black person and you're racist against Asians, that's not racism. That's just something else that we won't actually kind of talk about because it's super awkward. So the point that Elon Musk is making here is quite true. And yet the media refuse to acknowledge this, of course, and they say that it's quite terrible for Elon Musk to have said this. Now, the simple fact of the matter is the media are perfectly okay with racism so long as it is, at his, at, so long as it is directed against a supposedly more powerful group from a supposedly less powerful group. And what, what I'm saying here can be well substantiated, and we'll do that in just one moment. First, I have to talk to you about The Daily Wire's most trusted privacy partner and a premier sponsor of this show, ExpressVPN. Simple fact of the matter is, if you use the internet without ExpressVPN, that would be a stupid move. It's a really dumb move. It's like going to a coffee shop and you leave your laptop open and you don't actually like set the password or anything. You just go to the bathroom. When you come back, there's some dude from the FBI browsing your emails. Well, that kind of happens every time you go online, except, you know, the FBI dude doesn't have to be at the coffee shop. This is why you need ExpressVPN. Every time you connect to an unencrypted network in cafes, hotels, airports, etc., your online data is not secure. A hacker on the same network can access and steal your personal data. Big tech can gather all of your data and then hand it over to the government or just use it itself. ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It would take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. ExpressVPN works on all my devices. Just fire up the app, tap one button, and I am now protected. Get the VPN I trust to protect my online privacy. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. Get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Ben. Expressvpn.com slash Ben. Hey, well, I, I do have some receipts. Yeah, the simple fact of the matter is that if you took everything that Scott Adams said, as I said, when you said it in reverse, you would have a starring slot on MSNBC. In fact, we could call you by name. We could call you Ellie Mistel on MSNBC, circa September 2022. Here he was with Tiffany Cross explaining that white people generally, just white people generally, 
get violent when they don't get their way. Now, again, if you replace the word white with black here, you get banned not only from TV, but from all public polite society. But if you're Eli Mistal, you can say exactly what you want about white people at any time. This is literally what conservative white folks do when they don't get their way. They turn violent. As yeah. a black man in this country, as a person who was who was aware of the black history in the new world, white people turn violent when they don't politically get their way all the damn time in this country. It's what they do. And so from the perspective of a black person, I'm kind of like, welcome to the world that I've been living in, America, because now what we have is white domestic terrorists threatening to turn violence against non-black right. people, against everybody else. If the white supremacist um, idea ideology doesn't win the day and yeah. their white supremacist king is held accountable for crime. That's, and I want to point out, Ellie, normal. You're, you're, you're right. And you're not opining. I mean, that statement is rooted in history. In fact, if you are even a modest student of history, you have seen this scenario play out several times. OK, that is insane. Right. But that, that's totally well within the Overton window for the left. You're allowed to say that white people, when they are confronted with things they don't like, they're violent. They just get randomly violent. Now, if anybody suggested the same thing about black people writ large, if they looked at the riots of 2020 and they said, OK, well, George Floyd died under the knee of a police officer and then there were massive riots. All black Americans are to blame for all parts of that riot, because when black people don't get their way, then black people get violent. That would be racist and people would see consequences. But if you are on the left and you say this sort of stuff about white people, it's, it's considered factual. Tiffany Cross, that's factual. It's just rooted in history, guys. That's just straight American history. Or, for example, John Stewart, March 2022, doing the, the typical Maoist struggle session where he has to side with an insane guest talking about the problem with white people writ large. Again, you would never even hear that specific statement, the problem with black people writ large. You'd never hear that because it's racist. But if you say it about white people, not only is it OK, it's good. It makes you a hero of the republic. You're John Stewart. You're broad minded and you're, you're one of the good white people. You're able to dissociate. You're able to, you're able to be one of the good white people because you're able to crap on all the other white people. So is this, so is this white lady on Apple TV. If white men were going to do something about racism, you had 400 years. You could have done Okay? Um, so I am 58 I just, no, years I'm, old. I'm shutting you down right now. Um, I am not responsible so for anyone the before is, me. I'm so tired of just engaging in this conversation and this deep hurt that Andrew has about talking about racism. And, and Chip, God bless you, but I'm going to put everybody in the thing. All of us white people do this. I don't care if we say we're abolitionists. I don't care if we say we're progressive. I don't care if we're literally members of the KKK. Every single white person upholds these systems and structures of white supremacy. And we have got to talk about it. Every single white person. And John Stewart's like, okay. Every single white person. Okay, again, if you ever use the phrase every single black person, you are off TV. If you say every single white person, you're John Stewart, and we build statues of you in, in media halls. Robin DiAngelo, who's been trotted out as a source on these things, even though her book, White Fragility, is legitimately one of the worst books of all time. If you don't actually believe that, I did an entire podcast where I went through her, her book almost word for word, and it is insane. Okay, but here's Robin DiAngelo, who has been quoted in the Proud family. They literally hand a copy of Robin DiAngelo, one character to another, in an animated Disney Plus show. Because that's how mainstream Robin DiAngelo is. Here, here she is explaining that it's totally fine to make fun of white people in comedy, but not black people in comedy. Because racism against white people is not a thing because white people are powerful and black people are powerless. 
And I think TV shows like Family Guy and um, South Park and maybe a little bit The Simpsons, right, allowed white people to be racist self-consciously, right? Like, I know I'm being racist and therefore it doesn't count and it's okay. And so I don't think it's benign to do it in a joking way. Um, and, and there is a concept in comedy called punching up, not down. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, you want to punch up, there's very different power dynamics and, and it, it doesn't hurt in the same way. It doesn't invoke a deep, deep centuries long history of oppression when you, when you poke fun at, say, white people. But it's very, very different when you poke fun at, at people of color. So you just can't make fun of people of color, but you certainly can make fun of white people. It's really, really important, actually, to make fun of white people because they're powerful. Or take Van Jones. So Van is a super nice guy. I know Van. Really nice guy. But again, it's not about Van. It's about the fact that people in the mainstream media say this sort of crap on a regular basis, and it is considered part of the mainstream conversation so long as it is directed against white people. Here's Van Jones explaining that white people have a virus in their brain. So even the most liberal, well-intentioned white person has a, 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 a virus uh, in his or her brain that can be activated at an instant. And so what you're seeing now is a curtain falling away. Look in the mirror at how you choke off black opportunity, how you choke off black dignity. White people in these situations are always innocents, are always innocent. Oh my God, I can't believe this. Teach me, educate me, help me understand. I can't let this happen. Talk to me, tell me something, tell me what to do. White people are always innocent and their innocence constitutes their crime. Their innocence constitutes their crime which is about as a backward 1984 a sentiment as I have heard recently. And all of this is mainstream. And there's nothing new about this. I mean, you can flash back to pieces from 2020 in the middle of the George Floyd saga. Piece from Dr. Sundiana Sunjanta, anti-oppression content creator, facilitator, and organizer. Quote, why I walked away from white people. Again, reverse it. Why I walked away from black people. This makes you a racist. Or how about the very famous piece from Dana Brownlee, Dear White People. Here are five uncomfortable truths black colleagues need you to know. Oh, dear black people, here are five uncomfortable truths white colleagues need you to know. You think that would make it off the ground? Or how about Michael Harriet writing an entire piece called Black History According to White People, in which he chastises a column from a guy at National Review and suggests that National Review's Peter Kersenow is, uh, is racist because he has critiqued the 1619 Project, only to later discover that Peter Kersenow is, in fact, a person of minority status. Or how about a piece from Umer Heck? called This is Why Minorities and White People Can't Get Along in America, How White Rage is Still the Force That Controls Every Level of American Society. This has been a long-standing thing in the media. Again, it goes all the way back. This is, and when I say all the way back, I don't mean like 50 years in terms of the, the turn against white people in terms of racism being okay. I'm talking about racism, that there was an actual turn in American politics. We're gonna talk about it in just one second, like when this happened. First, let's talk about talk itself. If you are on your cell phone anytime during the day and you're with one of the big guys, you're paying too much money for that privilege. The simple fact of the matter is you could be saving a lot of money on your cell phone coverage by turning to Pure Talk. Pure Talk saves the average family over $900 a year when they switch from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. That is correct. You can save 900 bucks a year on your wireless bill and still enjoy ultra-fast 5G service. Get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. Pure Talk is so sure you're going to love your service, they're backing it up with a 100% money-back guarantee. Stop paying a fortune to Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Cut your bill in half with Pure Talk. 
Their US-based customer service team makes the switch really, really easy. Switch over to Pure Talk in as little as 10 minutes while keeping your phone and your phone number. Your first month is guaranteed risk-free. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Shapiro, save 50% off your first month of coverage. That's puretalk.com, promo code Shapiro. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I've been using Pure Talk for all of my business calls. The coverage is excellent, and I'm saving myself a bunch of money, and you can do the same. Head over to puretalk.com, enter promo code Shapiro, save 50% off your very first month of coverage again. That is puretalk.com, promo code Shapiro. So again, the, the history of this is pretty complete. I mean, here is a 2018 piece on HBO about how it was totally great when women of color vacationed away from white people. Again, imagine the reverse. White people vacation away from black people. Okay, we would just talk about how these people were racist and in favor of apartheid and segregation. But when it's black people doing it to white people, then of course, this is just, it's heroism. You're escaping from the white supremacy. Alexis Bromley is from Nebraska. She needed a break from white people. In Omaha, it's very segregated. It's, um, it can be very isolating if you're a person of color. It's hard in Nebraska because it's a red state. And so you just don't know who you interact with on a daily basis, if they believe that you're lesser, if you're inferior, and how that in turn can affect me. She says the current political climate has only made these feelings worse. So she decided to go on a women of color healing retreat. The idea is simple. For 10 days, black women come together to eat vegan food, meditate, do yoga. So many people's ideologies are being validated that don't see us as human, that don't see us as people. Okay, can I just point out for a second that um, if this were a bunch of white ladies who are eating vegan food, meditating, and going on vacations, like 10-day vacations with other white people, this would be the height of white privilege. But if you do this on Vice, and this is just, this is what people of color have to do in the United States to escape all the white people. And of course, it goes back further than 2018. 2015, BuzzFeed did an entire video with like 7 million views on it. Questions for white people. Now, again, you would never see a similar, a similar video from BuzzFeed questions for black people. I understand that the left likes to say that you're not allowed to do the switch. You're not allowed to actually compare racism against blacks to racism against whites because the histories are so different. Okay, it is true. The histories are incredibly different. Also, racism, how can we all agree that racism is bad? that treating an entire group of people as a monolith for purposes of stereotyping and cudgeling them is a bad thing? How about that? You don't even have to do an equation to point out that both things are bad. But according to the left again, only one of these things is bad. 2015 BuzzFeed. Why is a big butt and big lips considered attractive on a white woman, but they're unattractive on a black woman? Do y'all really think Miley is the one who created twerking? Really? Why am I supposed to teach you how to twerk? I don't know how to twerk. Why is it that white people always act as though they have discovered a new trend when people of color have been doing it for virtually years? Why is it when a black woman wears her hair natural, it's seen as inappropriate, but when a white woman does, it's praised? This is the hair that I was born with, so you wearing it as a trend is not cute. Why do you want to say the N-word so badly? If I don't use it, what makes you think you can? Why do you always want to touch our hair? Who told you it was okay to touch people without their permission? Why do you feel like having one black friend makes you a cultural expert or not a racist? Is your only black friend comfortable with being the reason why you can't be racist? By that logic, and then, then I'm not racist. Again, I have a, a question ton of white people. friends. Why do you feel comfortable cursing at your parents? Why do you kiss your dogs on the mouth? How come you can't pronounce black names like Kuvanjane? but can say names like Schwarzenegger, Galifianakis, and LaBeouf just fine. Why do you feel like all lion's lives matter, 
but black lives don't. Why is a lion's life in Africa more important than the lives of black people here <sighs> in America? It's questions for all white what people. You're all racist, so they can be as racist as they want to be. Okay, awesome so movie. here's the question. Here's the question. What changed in American society? Because when I was growing up, this kind of crap was not considered appropriate. It really was not, like from any race. We weren't allowed to do it. Racism was just considered a bad thing all the way across the board. So what exactly happened? Well, you can look at the polling data and you can see exactly what happened. So if you look at the polling data on how Americans feel on race relations, what you see is a very consistently, solidly majority feel that race relations are good up until the year 2014. You can see it. It's right there in the data. It's Gallup polling data. Okay, among black adults, well over 60% of black adults, pretty much continuously from 2001 all the way till 2013, think that race relations in America are good. And 70% or so of white Americans feel exactly the same way from 2001 all the way till 2013. And then everything hits a cliff. And by 2015, only 51% of black adults think race relations are good. And only 45% of white adults think race relations are good. And the line, the trend line really never recovers. So by 2021, only 43% of white adults believe race relations between black and white people are good. And 33% of black people believe race relations are good. So what happened between 2013 and 2015? What happened right there? Well, there was a year. It was called 2014. And that happened to be the year that Barack Obama decided that he was going to inject himself into a fundamental narrative over Michael Brown and the Ferguson riots in which he suggested that black people were systematically put upon in the United States and that his own presidency was not evidence that racism had been alleviated in the United States. In fact, it may even have been a cover for the continuation of racism in the United States. All the racial healing during the Obama era really was a magical, magical thing. And Listen, this sort of thing, it has consequences. This is now bled down into up into the highest levels of American society and down into the lowest levels of American society. This entrenched belief that racist language is okay so long as it is directed against one group, but not against another group. All of that is incredibly ugly and, and incredibly stupid. You know what else is incredibly stupid? Not getting life insurance. So don't be an idiot. Get life insurance. The simple fact of the matter is the most predictable thing in life is death. Literally all of our lives will end that way. And so why wouldn't you get the life insurance you need to make sure that your family is taken care of in case, God forbid, something should happen to you? Policy Genius makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 39 bucks per month for $2 million in coverage. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week. Avoid those unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius's licensed agents can help you find coverage options in as little as a week. They work for you, not the insurance companies. Your loved ones deserve that financial safety net. You deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Click the link in the description. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. That's policygenius.com slash Shapiro. And they're licensed agents. They can help you find the coverage options in as little as a week. They work for you, not the insurance company. So they have no incentive to recommend one insurer over another. You can trust their guidance. They'll get you the best deal. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro right now. Or click the link in the description and get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. Policygenius.com slash Shapiro. So this has bled down into the lowest levels of American society where racism is considered de rigueur, depending on who it is directed against. And it has bled all the way up into the halls of presidential power. So yesterday, Joe Biden, he, he was doing an event on Black History Month because we are reaching the end of Black History Month. We're about to enter Women's History Month. Every group gets a history month which is weird because I would just assume that all of our histories ought to be shared. I mean, they're somewhat intertwined, are they not? I think the best critique of Black History Month is that really Black history is just part of like all history. There's no white history month. So the implication is what? Are the other 11 months of the year white history? Like in any case, put aside the silliness of, 
of having months that are specifically dedicated to one topic. But Joe Biden was doing an event commemorating Black History Month, and he dropped this line. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> I know where the power is. I know where the power po- You think I'm joking. I learned a long time ago. I know where the power is. You may think I'm joking. I'm a white boy, but I'm not stupid. So first of all, fact check, half true. He is a white boy and he is stupid. But yeah, again, the, the kind of language that he uses there, imagine somebody else saying that about any race. But that sort of stuff is considered totally fine now. It's totally fine. It's not fine like 1970s fine where everybody make jokes about everybody else's race in an attempt to sort of get over racial awkwardness. There was Richard Pryor who was saying, incredibly inflammatory stuff, or Archie Bunker on your TV saying incredibly inflammatory stuff. Now, we live now in a very civil society with regard to this sort of stuff, except with regard to one particular kind of language, and that kind of language is pretty clear to everyone. Meanwhile, by the way, it's bleeding over into policy as well, aside from the Biden administration, which has decided that it is going to inject equity into literally every facet of the federal government, as we discussed last week. An executive order went out from the Biden administration suggesting that equity had to be the guiding principle of every agency in the federal government. And by equity, they mean intersectional group justice, meaning that if there is a less powerful group, then we must elevate that less powerful group via the means of government power. Now in San Francisco, they are now considering whether to give $5 million to each black resident of San Francisco, which would destroy their economy. I mean, frankly, I'm, I'm sort of a burn it all down type when it, comes to, when it comes to San Franciscans actually pursuing their leftist utopianism, like go for it. Now, apparently, they're talking about getting $5 million to every, every black resident of San Francisco on the basis of past discrimination or on the belief that this is somehow going to heal racial divides or something. Now, go for it. If that's the thing you want to do, absolutely go for it. Amazing, amazing stuff. This is what our society now has to say about, about racism, is that racial preferences are not only okay, but morally favored, and that that ought to apply in pretty much every area of American life. Now, speaking of other things that our society has decided to do that are unbelievably stupid and counterproductive, we have decided that it is imperative that we celebrate every time a boy believes that he is a girl and then has hormones and surgery to prove it. This even if one of the kid's parents objects. So according to People magazine, a Los Angeles County judge has now signed off on Zaya Wade's petition to change her name as well as her legal transition. Just to make clear, Zaya is a boy. According to People.com, Dwayne Wade's daughter, because this is the, the way that the, this is all so tied up in the media. Right? Every major narrative for the media is about violating taboos and then normalizing the violation of those taboos. This is how it became okay to say the kinds of things that you see Eli Mistel saying on, on MSNBC. It's also the way that we are now supposed to immediately just adopt the perverse language of suggesting that a boy is a girl. So People Magazine says Dwayne Wade's daughter i.e. son, has been granted an official name change and assignment of gender, according to court documents obtained by People. While Zaya has gone by her name since 2020, her legal name is now Zaya Malaki Aramis Wade, according to a ruling filed in LA's Superior Court. The judge also granted an official stamp of approval for the 15-year-old's legal transition that would allow her sex markers on documents to match her gender identity. So all documents will now say female, despite the fact that Zaya is, in fact, a male. Zaya is, in fact, a dude, a 15-year-old boy, a confused 15-year-old boy. And the entire media are in celebration mode. They're in celebration mode, despite the fact that Zaya's mom is, um, is really objecting to this sort of thing. And this has made heroes, of course, of Zaya's parents. 
Zaya's parents are Dwayne Wade, the former NBA star, and Gabrielle Union, the stepmom. Now, Zaya's mom, Siobhan Funches Wade, alleged in a court filing last November that Dwayne was trying to profit from their daughter's outreach toward name and gender change. And, um, and he says, none of us are surprised by Siobhan's attempt to fight Zaya's identity and her unwavering attempt to drag my name through the mud. I'm very disappointed that she continually finds ways of centering herself and her needs without regard to her children. Now, imagine any father said that about any mother in any other context, that you're censoring your needs above the needs of your child. Oh my God, grave sexism. But not so if you are attempting to legitimately treat a boy as a girl and then legally transition a 15-year-old, a 15-year-old. Continuing his statement, Wade detailed how Funches Wade, 41, tried a similar attempt over a decade ago. And 13 lawyers later, I was awarded sole custody of our two kids as an active NBA player. All I ever wanted was to have my parenting time uninterrupted as I knew it would be a very difficult time for our kids to navigate the new normal. Wade first spoke about his teen daughter coming out as transgender on a 2020 episode of The Ellen DeGeneres Show. At the time, Wade noted his child had decided to go by the name of Zaya and be referred to by she, her pronouns. They were married for eight years, by the way, and they share a son along with Zaya. That, by the way, is the best way to, um, to treat a child with a serious issue of gender confusion is to go on the Ellen's Generous show and just talk about it openly in the year 2020, by the way. The year is now 2023, and apparently Zaya is now 15, which means that Zaya was actually 12 when Dwayne Wade decided to go on Ellen's Generous and explain about the, the transition. And this is all to be celebrated by the media. It's just absolutely celebrated. So CBS Mornings had on Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade to talk about the power of acceptance. Never mind that mom thinks that this is a perversion of her son. None of that matters anymore because they are fulfilling the narrative needs of the media with regard to transvism. So what is your message for those who might not have that support? Kids that are searching for not only their own identity, but for someone to help validate who they are. Well, I want young folks who feel misunderstood or isolated to hold on. I know that it is difficult. I know you feel like the world is against you, and sometimes that is actually true. But there are so many people out here who want you to have the fullest life possible. And I, I think especially for young trans youth, know that whatever hate you hear, there's so much love that washes over that, and people are fighting for you. There, there are people fighting for you to be away from your parents. Right? There are further people. The, the entire media has decided that they are going to now side against parents who believe that their children have immutable biological sex. It, that, that's the really important thing to take away from all of this. This is the direction that our media moves. Our media are a, an ivory tower bunch. They live within a certain bubble. And in that bubble, a certain set of values is the norm. That set of values suggests that certain types of racism are okay and certain types of racism are not. That set of values suggests that boys can be girls, girls can become boys, and parents who refuse to acknowledge this pseudo-reality, are apparently child abusers. And what you need is activists and authors coming in to explain to you that your parents are wrong, but you, in your internal subjective feeling, you will be made whole by a media that is there to, to cuddle you and give you hugs. I mean, it, by the way, they don't give two dams about you for the length of your life. And the simple fact of the matter is, according to all available data, like all available data, the rates of suicidal ideation, the rates of suicidality among LGBTQ youth are way, way higher than among heterosexual youth. And that is not because of quote unquote mistreatment. Okay, that, that, that has much more to do with the fact that there is a high comorbidity between certain types of identification and behavior and actual depression. 
We acknowledge this in literally every other area of life, but it's politically impolitic to say that sort of thing when it comes to LGBTQ identification and behavior. But no, don't worry. They have your best interests at heart, as always, as always. Now, speaking of people who have your best interests at heart, it is fairly amazing that Disney has decided to blow itself out. You know, and talk about people who are targeting your kids. I am continually amazed by the fact that Disney, perhaps the most trusted brand in American life up till about 10 years ago, has decided that it is imperative to insert left-wing politics into every aspect of their being. It, it, it's like an incredible brand betrayal. As somebody who was a big Disney fan, as somebody who loves Disney legacy properties, as somebody who was a Disneyland annual pass member, along with my wife and our kids, it is amazing how they decided to blow themselves out in order to please the woke contingent. Well, now, Governor Ron DeSantis, he is, he is taking the final step to remove the special tax dispensations that were given to Disney World. According to the Wall Street Journal, DeSantis signed into law legislation ending Walt Disney Company's control of a special tax district in Orlando and named new members to the state control board that now governs it. Here was Ron DeSantis explaining that Disney will now be treated like SeaWorld. Uh, local politicians, uh, particularly in Orange County, were saying that that would mean that the debt of Disney would get dumped on their taxpayers, uh, they would have to do services, and it would cause major property tax increases for people in Central Florida. Now, I rejected that. A lot of media reported that that would happen, and I said that will not happen. And so even though, and I'll announce here who, who's going to be uh, running Disney on behalf of the state, even though I would like eventually the local government to just take this, uh, I was not going to put taxpayers at risk, and I did not trust them to be able to handle this at this point. Now, DeSantis has taken all sorts of crap for this, but the simple fact of the matter is Disney was given corporate favoritism because, again, Disney was a favorite. Disney was like an unmitigated, apolitical boon to the state of Florida. And then they decided that it was very important that they become invested in politics. And at that point, I'm sorry, your special dispensations go away. F around and find out is the message from Governor DeSantis. And that happens to be correct as the woke corporations decide to insert themselves in every area of American life. In just one second, we'll get to Abigail Disney who had something rather insane to say, not about this particular topic, but about other topics. First, let's talk about a fact about me. I don't like vegetables. I think they're terrible. I think that God decided in an act of unholy revenge on all of us to make things that taste terrible the healthiest for you. But Balance of Nature has come up with a solution also because God is kind. This is why I'm a huge fan of Balance of Nature. Balance of Nature, fruits and veggies are the best way to make sure that you're getting essential nutritional ingredients every single day. Their products are 100% whole food. Balance of Nature uses a cold vacuum process that preserves the natural phytonutrients in whole fruits and vegetables and encapsulates them for easy consumption. They sent me a bunch of their products. They're kosher, so I'm able to use them and they are excellent. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. That's balanceofnature.com. Promo code Shapiro. Get 35% off your first preferred order. I've been taking them. They're keeping me alive at this point. People at the office have been taking Balance of Nature as well. It gives people more pep in their step, more energy. They're getting the nutrients they need. Head over to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro. Get 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. Once more, balanceofnature.com. Promo code Shapiro to get started. Also, standing at six foot, four inches, Abraham Lincoln was our tallest president. Already towering over the men of his era, a young girl once asked Lincoln why he always wore such a tall stovepipe hat that made him look even taller. Honest Abe looked down at her, removed his hat, showed her inside and said, to better store Jeremy's razors. 
These are the important moments in history that the left would prefer to make you forget. But while the left cancels our history, Jeremy's Razors celebrates it. This is why we are still offering 30% off any razor during our President's Day sale. But you have to act fast because the sale ends tonight. Let me, let me show you some of this product. This right here. Here are the glorious razors from Jeremy's Razors. Check that out. This is the glorious Smooth Six Razor for a close, comfortable shave that cuts hair below the surface. It's especially useful for prolonging that Lincoln-inspired mustacheless beard look. However you shave, do not let radical left turn our founding fathers into founding non-birthing parents. Go to Jeremy's Razors for your last chance to get a 30% off woke-free shave kit. There's also this, this stuff. I mean, this is like the whole shave kit right here. I mean, look at this thing. It's, it's, yeah, go check it out right now. Jeremy'sRazors.com to get 30% off. Okay, meanwhile, you know, Ron DeSantis has now appointed an oversight board for the tax district. Named as chairman of the board is Martin Garcia, a Tampa attorney, head of a private investment firm and a Republican donor. He also appointed Bridget Ziegler, the co-founder of the conservative group Moms for Liberty. She's a member of the Sarasota County School Board. Also tapped Michael Sasso, an attorney in Winter Park, who was previously named to a judicial nominating commission. Brian Onkst, a lawyer in Clearwater, who was previously named to another judicial nominating commission. And Ron Perry, chief executive of the Gathering USA, which is a ministry. The newly constituted board will meet for the first time this week. Among its priorities will be to ensure that Disney pays its fair share of taxes to fund the infrastructure projects in the region so that nobody is paying for Disney's privileges. All of this is perfectly appropriate given the fact that Disney has decided to go woke. I, by the way, I will be fascinated to see if Bob Iger ran, runs this one back. So Bob Iger is to blame for the wokeness of Disney in the first place. Bob Chapek ran Disney for about five seconds there and he's getting all the blame. And then Bob Iger came in like a white knight. Bob Iger is a left-wing fanatic. He was he was seriously considered as a possible Democratic presidential candidate, believe it or not. And now he's back running Disney. But the first indicator is going to be, it'll be interesting to see whether he goes for it. There's a lot of chatter online about Frozen 3. So Disney announced that they're going to do Frozen 3. They're also doing Toy Story 5, which shows they have nothing left in the tank. Toy Story 4 was very clearly the concluding episode of that series. They're making Toy Story 5 because Lightyear was such a giant fail due to their attempt to shoehorn in a bunch of LGBTQ messaging to small children. Well, it'll be fascinating to see if Bob Iger is willing and able to withstand the anger of his own woke employees if they don't make Ilsa an open lesbian in Frozen 3, which has always been the push of the hardcore cultural left. It, it, again, it, it is amazing how the new generation of Disney just feeds off the body of the old generation of Disney. You can see this, by the way, in the actual Disney commercial for the Super Bowl. The entire Disney commercial for the Super Bowl was legacy properties. It was like Pinocchio and Peter Pan and Aladdin, like all the things they put warning labels on. There's none of the new Proud family in that because no one cares about that. The only thing people like about Disney is legacy properties. The thing they don't like is all the wokeness. So we'll see if Bob Iger is uh, willing to let the, uh, the stockholders actually have their way. Worth noting here, that the new generation of Disney, people like Abigail Disney, if, if you could encapsulate sort of the liberal, upper-crust, highly educated white women who make up a huge part of the Democratic Party base. Abigail Disney is that, right? She, she's an heiress. She's the most privileged person maybe on earth. Well, yesterday, she decided that she was going to go after Jessa Duggar. So Jessa Duggar revealed that she suffered a miscarriage. And Abigail Disney promptly tweeted, quote, she didn't have a miscarriage. She had a DNC, which is also called an abortion and would be illegal in many states under laws she herself supports. For F's sake, at least just tell the truth, contemptible cowardice. Uh, that is not true. That is not remotely true, but Abigail Disney is not a particularly good person. And ripping into women who have miscarriages, by the way, a DNC, very often when it is done after miscarriage, is the baby did not survive in the uterus. And so rather than waiting for the baby to pass, now the, now the baby is in the uterus, right? The corpse is in the uterus. And now you actually have to go out and remove it with the DNC. That's not the same thing as DNCing a live baby, Abigail Disney. 
But again, this is the new generation of woke white ladies. Okay, meanwhile, you can see Ron DeSantis making some pretty strong moves. He has his memoirs out. Now he has a brand new book that, that is out. And the book is quite good. A lot of polls showing he's very competitive with Donald Trump. Uh, so how is Donald Trump doing? Well, this brings us to today's episode of Good Trump, Bad Trump. Good Trump, Bad Trump, which one will we get today? Okay, so today we begin with a little bit of Good Trump. There's a little bit of Bad Trump too. So, so we get a little bit of, of both. So I am um, I'm proud to announce that all of the left's insanity about how Donald Trump is responsible for the derailing of that train over in Ohio under Joe Biden, because Joe Biden is, is currently the president, and how he's to blame for the fact that Pete Buttigieg is an incompetent, pathetic, mewling, silly of a human. That, that Pete Buttigieg, who spends all day doing photo ops, but couldn't be bothered to go over to East Palestine and then whines that he's expected to go over to East Palestine. They all tried to blame Donald Trump for this. False. So even Glenn Kessler, who is not exactly a Trumpkin over at the Washington Post, I love, I love the hedging in the headline. So far, Trump's rollback of regulations can't be blamed for Ohio train wreck. So far. I love, he has to add the so far. He can't just say, Trump's rollback of regulations can't be blamed for Ohio train wreck. It's so far. Perhaps he's like hoping against hope. Maybe one day. Uh, as it turns out, all of the media attempting to suggest, include the White House did this too. They tried to suggest that Donald Trump rolled back regulations that would have stopped the crash in East Palestine. And it turns out that that's not true. According to Glenn Kessler, he, he, he looked through literally every regulation that was repealed or changed by the Trump administration. And what they found is that none of these rules applied. They, they were not relevant. They, they were, or if they were relevant, they were not affected by, the, by this particular train crash. So that is, in fact, you know, just another episode of the media deciding to go after Trump for mainly because that, that is their constant misdirect. If something goes wrong with Joe Biden, it must be Trump's fault. So even Glenn Kessler at the Washington Post is like, nah, that's that's not a good thing. Okay, meanwhile, we have uh, some some bad news, unfortunately, for President Trump. So President Trump, who, again, he's still doing quite well overall in the Republican primary polls. He's running neck and neck with Ron DeSantis. And he has these great moments like he's Palestine, and then he has some bad moments. So yesterday, he decided that he was going to go hard after Fox News. And he, he put on Truth Social, quote, Fox News is promoting Ron DeSantis so hard and so much. There's not much time left for real news. So I guess he's now, he realized nobody knew the word sanctimonious. And so he's now shortening it. So it's not Ron DeSantis, it's Ron DeSanctis, which I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. And then he says, reminds me of 2016 when they were pushing Jeb, the new Fox poll, which have always been purposefully terrible for me, has Trump crushing the sanctimonious, but they barely show it. Instead, they go with losers like Karl Rove, Paul Ryan, and now even Jesper, who have been wrong about everything. Isn't there a big, beautiful network which wants to do well and make a fortune besides fake news? So first of all, I, I would like to point out here that I'm perfectly willing to, to point out the various polls. Some show DeSantis doing better than Trump. There's some nationally that show Trump doing better than DeSantis. Also, if your idea as Donald Trump is that Fox News has been insufficiently kind to you over the past several years, yeah, that's a dog that ain't gonna hunt. He, 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 he tried and succeeded in this routine, by the way, in 2015, 2016, when he ripped into Megyn Kelly for asking him some questions he didn't like during the primary debates and all the rest. But I'm sorry, the whiny Trump is not the Trump who's going to win. Whiny Trump when directed against media that we all don't like is not, is, is not a bad thing. Like him, him complaining about CNN and calling it fake news is one thing. Him saying like Fox News is fake news. Good luck with that one. Seriously, good luck with that one. And meanwhile, other Republican presidential candidates trying to jump into the race. It is my belief that Right now, before DeSantis 
jumps in. It's effectively a two-person race. People do not want a multi-person race. In the Republican Party, Trump's obviously the center of mass. And then people would like a second candidate that they can just one-on-one, mano-a-mano, figure out which one they like. I don't think people want a crowded race. I don't think that they want 12 candidates. It's fine for there to be 12 candidates in the race, but this feel better, better winnow right quick because I don't think that a lot of Republican voters are going to be satisfied with any primary candidate sneaking through with 31% of the vote or something. Well, Tim Scott is trying to throw his hat in the ring, maybe. So the senator from South Carolina, he's, he visited Iowa and he's been doing an inspiring message tour. Now, listen, I like Tim Scott and I think that his message is, in fact, inspiring. So I think that he's the right man for the time. I, I, I don't think so because I think, frankly, that he's a pretty conciliatory fellow. I'm not sure this is a conciliatory time. In any case, here was Tim Scott. Again, he's sort of in his pre-presidential run mode. I want to put up a recent Fox News yes. poll about how Americans feel about things today. They say we are dysfunctional family, 81% of them. Is it realistic to believe that you or any other politician can get us out of our corners and get people back to a place where there isn't so much division? In today's society, the progressive left is trying to make America into a grievance culture when, in fact, we've always stood on the foundation of greatness. Our original sin should never define us because the story of redemption is what we've been living for more than 50 plus years. The greatest story of progress in the world is American progress in the last 50 years. Again, like an inspiring message is fine. I'm just not sure that now is the moment for it, considering how negatively people feel about pretty much everything. He's been he's been talking about how he would like to run for, for president right now, and he's been doing the tour on all of this. We'll have to see if he gains any traction. But as I say before, I think that this race is going to come down largely to two people unless somehow one of them implodes. And meanwhile, Joe Biden is is falling apart. It is amazing how his his wokeness steps in kind of repeatedly to quash what would be his blue collar bona fides. It's, it's kind of an amazing thing. The man steps on rakes on a routine basis and he's been allowed off the hook. It's that in a moment first. If you're looking at the federal government, you see a bunch of people who are not extraordinarily competent at their jobs. What you can't have is inside your own company, a bunch of people who are not extraordinarily competent at their jobs. You need more people who are good at their jobs. How do you find those people? You have to head on over to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter will help you find the most qualified people for your roles fast. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter's matching technology helps you find the most qualified candidates for a wide range of roles. If you see a candidate you like, you can easily send them a personal invite so they're more likely to apply. Their user-friendly dashboard makes it easy to filter, review, and rate your candidates all from one place. See why the majority of employers count on ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within day one. Use my exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. We've been using ZipRecruiter here at Daily Wire for years. It keeps our current employees on their toes because they never know when they might be ZipRecruited. But also, it means that when we're hiring up for a job, we look to ZipRecruiter to get us the best candidates. You can do the same. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. Uh, meanwhile, Joe Biden, he was attempting to make kind of an interesting move after the State of the Union address. So he gave a State of the Union address. It was supposed to kick off his 2024 presidential campaign. And he started basically channeling Bernie Sanders populism. And that was his shtick, is I understand I've got the Wokies in my bag over here. They're going to come along with me for the ride. But now I need to shift over into blue collar talk. We're going to bring manufacturing back to the heartland. This is the thing we're going to do. There's only one problem. Every time he thinks he's out of Wokeland, they suck him back in. So here is a perfect example. One of the things that he touted in the middle of his State of the Union address was the so-called CHIPS Act. Okay, now, this was 
an act that had some bipartisan support because there are a lot of people in the United States who are looking abroad. And what they are seeing is that China is threatening Taiwan. Virtually all sophisticated microchips are actually manufactured in Taiwan. It doesn't mean they're programmed. They're generally programmed and designed in the United States. They're partially manufactured in, in some places in Scandinavia. And then virtually all of them are sort of finalized and created in Taiwan, like 92% of sophisticated microchips. And so a lot of people are looking at that and they're looking at South Korea where there are another 4% of sophisticated microchips being manufactured. And they say, we need to reshore some of that process because frankly, if things go south along the supply lines over there, then we're all going to be in real trouble in our markets. Okay, fair enough. You know, I think that that it is unlikely that the United States is going to be the chief mode of, of manufacturing computer chips. It's extremely expensive to build these manufacturing facilities, but I at least hear the argument. As a, as a competitive hedge against China. Fine, got it. But if you're going to do that and you're going to say it's a national security issue, presumably your top priority ought to be the national security of manufacturing the chips. Wrong, wrong. So according to the Washington Post, chip makers are now going to have to provide childcare plans to seek federal money. I know what you were thinking was, I wanted to make sure that my computer or my phone or my car or my microwave or literally anything else in the United States that relies on microchips, I just want to make sure those devices work. And that's what you were thinking to yourself. And that's why we're expending oodles of taxpayer money to make sure that we can manufacture those over here. Well, Joe Biden is thinking, but is there a child care plan with your tax money? That's the thing that we are most concerned with. According to the Washington Post, computer chip companies requesting millions from the federal government to build factories will have to outline a child care plan for workers, according to the Commerce Department. Companies seeking more than $150 million in subsidies, part of what was allocated in the $52 billion CHIPS Act signed last year, will need to notify the federal government how they plan to provide childcare to their employees and construction workers. According to department spokeswoman, Caitlin Legacki. Again, there is no such thing as a government program without massive grift. And that's essentially what this is, that you have to be a Democrat allied firm doing all the work. You have to have it. You have to have childcare program for construction workers. Okay, let's look at the construction industry. In the construction industry, what is the male-female ratio in the construction industry? Um, women, according to... The NAWIC, women represent a grand total of 10.9% of the entire U.S. construction workforce, like one-tenth. In order to get a bid into the federal government to build a chip-making facility, you now have to have a full child care plan for the workers who don't exist in your firm. The administration had proposed lowering child care costs for families as part of Joe Biden's Build Back Better plan. The funding was cut from it. The child care requirement for semiconductor makers which was reported by the New York Times earlier on Monday, would affect a relatively small number of people in the United States, but would extend beyond direct employees of the makers to construction workers for the plant as well. So in order for us to hedge against the threat of China, we now need chip makers that have childcare plans. Just genius level stuff from Joe Biden. Meanwhile, by the way, Joe Biden has dumped tons and tons and tons of money into his green agenda, right? The, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, which was designed to hedge against carbon-based fossil fuel emissions. And that's really what it was about. It was the biggest green investment in American history, according to Joe Biden and company. Well, it turns out that he wanted to, he said he was going to create jobs. And just like during Barack Obama's tenure, when he kept saying that green jobs, there'll be green jobs. He, he made Van Jones, the green jobs are. And then it turned out there were no green jobs. And well, now it's turning out that uh, there, is, there, there just aren't people to actually even fill these jobs. According to Politico, the same booming labor market that has given Joe Biden the lowest unemployment rate since the 60s is also creating a hiring bottleneck for the same construction and manufacturing companies central to his climate agenda. In other words, they've dumped a bunch of money in and there are more than 100,000 clean energy job openings and there is no one to fill them. The U.S. construction industry is still short 413,000 workers as of December. 
and 764,000 manufacturing sector jobs remain open. So genius level stuff, creating inflation in order to reduce inflation. Um, Amazing stuff there from Joe Biden, as per our usual arrangement. This, of course, has led the Democratic Party into trying, and their apparatchiks in the media, into trying to figure out what exactly is the pitch for the Democratic Party at this point, because we're about to hit a very, very rough economy. Turns out that the war in Ukraine is just going to continue ad infinitum, apparently. And so the problem is they're stuck. They don't actually have anybody except for Joe Biden. And so they have to make excuses for the fact that this is a doddering old man who isn't particularly good at his job. So Mika Brzezinski on MSNBC, for example, she says, why do you keep making fun of Joe Biden's age? My mom was using a chainsaw into her 80s. The other part of this yeah. is that, you know, it's it's the age question, which I know is uncomfortable to talk yeah. about. But, um, the, you know, it's a huge issue for most Democrats. Well, I, I, mean, I don't know if it should be. I, I, I think age is what it is. And yeah. we keep telling people what it is when right. we shouldn't be. Well, I, mean, I mean, there are some Nan- people who are yeah. extre- at their best in their 80s. Nancy Pelosi. My mom was using a chainsaw yeah. and doing her best work in her 80s. Nancy Pelosi, without chainsaw, was doing a pretty damn good job in her 80s Different as well. Different type. And I love this. So now your 80s are your primes. We were told by CNN's Don Lemon when it was Nikki Haley that your 50s, if you're a woman, are not your prime. And now we're being told by Mika and Joe on MSNBC that your 80s are actually your prime. 80 is the new 30, apparently. Just as long as it's Joe Biden who can't move his face anymore and words don't emerge from his mouth hole properly. By the way, can you imagine Joe Biden with a chainsaw? He fires that sucker up. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure sure that that Joe Biden with a chainsaw will go just, just splendidly. Meanwhile, Donnie Deutsch, also suggesting that that Democrats are going to be able to run in 2024 on being the party of competence, which ignores their incompetence. One woman who is now running the Michigan GOP, uh, a party that just got wiped out last time, she lost her race in 2022 by 14 points and still hasn't conceded. Look, the problem you got is that the freaks and the insurrectionists and the the nutjobs, the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, they're the ones raising the money. So their individual needs are being met, yet the party suffers. And you also, when you mentioned that uh, the Democratic state senator, you contrast that with the with the blocking and tackling that the Democrats are doing, starting with starting with our president. Whether you look at it, whether you look at jobs, whether you look at unemployment, whether you look at a climate bill, whether you build back better, whether you look at Inflation Reduction Act, when you look at a crime, uh, a climate act. It just you've got one party that's that's the lug nut nut job party and the other party, which is the party of competence. So. The party of competence. Yes, the Democratic Party. I look at the economy and the inflation rate. And I look at our our surrender in Afghanistan. I think this is this is definitely the party of competence. They're going to have to prop up Joe Biden. It's what they have to do. They don't have anybody else on the table. There's literally a Department of Transportation watchdog that is now auditing Pete Buttigieg's use of government jets. Pete Buttigieg is done as a national figure. The East Palestine, Ohio thing finished him. Meanwhile, they're so uncomfortable about Kamala Harris in the Democratic Party that Greg Craig, a lawyer who served under both Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, has a piece in the Washington Times, in the, in the New York Times today, asking if there can be a primary for the vice president. Right, this is how much he's uncomfortable with Kamala Harris. Quote, if the party were to give Democratic voters a role in picking the vice presidential nominee, it would have to rely on the primaries and caucuses to make the decision. It would take time. Divisions in the party would be on display and even deepen. A charismatic candidate like AOC might inspire the base and sweep the field. And perhaps most important, the inevitable messiness of the contest would make it appear the aging president and his team were not in charge. But at the same time, it can't be Kamala Harris. I mean, this is how scared they are of the people who are who are behind Joe Biden. So they're going to they're going to prop up this this old buffoon. 
You know, they're going to John Fetterman this guy as much as they have to. Alrighty, time for some things I like and then a quick thing that I hate. So things that I like today. I, I do love the attachment that Democrats have to the masks. I, I it, it is, it's nice because now you have an outward symbol. It's like the cross for Christians. The mask has now become a religious icon for many of these folks. So Whoopi Goldberg uh, was on that great repository of all human intelligence, The View. And she was explaining that people who are not using masks are, are going to, to make things more dangerous for themselves. She, she was talking about how um, the, the mask will protect you from the flu. Oh, Lord. Here we go. Well, no, you, you know. Well, you did have that. I did cold. have a cough. And when, when you that did not cold. show up, Brian goes, thanks. Whoopi's out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I assume that is because when you have little ones, yeah. you will always have things that you travel with. So as people tell you, yeah, take off your mask. Don't worry about it. We're not going to check anymore. Just know the flu <laughs> is still <laughs> will fly in. Well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The flu flew in and got me. Okay, so I'm just going to point out here that um, the entire narrative on the mask was about COVID. And now there too, you should probably wear a mask because if you take off the mask, the flu will fly in. Just the, the religious attachment to these things, even as the data just don't prove them out. It is an amazing, amazing thing. Okay, time for a quick thing that I hate. So our chattering classes are now sounding off about gun control again. It is, it is wonderful. And it is, of course, via all the mechanisms of our popular media. Katy Perry who's a person who sings for a living, I think, right? And so, so she um, was on American Idol and there was a mass shooting survivor who auditioned on American Idol. And this caused Katy Berry, a person who is wildly famous and wildly wealthy to talk about how America is failing people because mass shootings take place in the United States on ABC. Uh, lost a lot of friends. Uh, eight, eight, eight students were killed. Uh, two teachers were killed. And uh, it's just really been negative, man. Santa Fe's had a bad rap here since 2018. What you doing, Katie? Our country has failed us. Facts. This is not okay. You should be singing here because you love music. It's true. Not because you have to go through that I agree. You don't have to lose eight friends. Um, so I'm just going to point out this is American Idol, is it not? Um, so yes, we all don't like mass shootings, but our country has effing failed us. And Katy Perry, who is worth $330 million, apparently, weeping openly because our country has failed us. The, the, there's a baseline notion in the United States that has somehow taken root in a huge number of Americans that any bad thing that happens in life, terrible things, people who are evil, doing evil, insane things, like a mass shooting of children, for example, that these things are things where if they happen, the country has failed us, that the government has failed us in some way, that the system has failed us in some way, right? Questions that used to be directed at God and had no answers. I mean, why do bad things happen to good people? They're now directed at the ultimate power in the universe, which is not God, it is government. And so the idea is the system as a whole has failed us. Now listen, I think we can all feel as emotionally strongly as Katy Perry does about when evil things happen, being horrified by them. But the, the channeling of that into the country has effing failed us, the country has effing failed all of us, is a little much. Again, coming from like, 
the same system of freedoms that exists in the United States that allows for Katy Perry to be Katy Perry. You know, that that system is not capable and no system really is, as it turns out, of preventing all evil in the universe. There's this sort of utopian view. Uh, I've talked about this before, the, the sort of compared to what syndrome. And people on the people on the left politically, they never do the compared to what syndrome. They never say compared to well, what other system other than the United States is, is preferable. And if you want to say it, just say it. If Katy Perry literally wants to call for confiscation of literally all guns in the United States, which is what she presumably wants, then just do it. Then just do it. But what is highly irritating is this, this not the emotional response, the emotional response that leads to a notion that you should be able to blame the entire system without any reference to a solution. The entire system is to blame. You see this on the left very frequently. Bernie Sanders is very fond of this. Every Bernie Sanders tweet is along these lines. Why is it fair that there are so many people who have so much and some people have so few? Why is that so fair? No system should allow this. No system should allow this. Okay, provide me with your alternative that you think is better. Oh, your alternative doesn't work here. Oh, your alternative is a bad idea. That doesn't matter. Your alternative is constrained by reality. That doesn't matter. The constraints of reality no longer matter. It's, they, they never quite say what they want when it comes to gun control. A few of them do, right? So David Hogg, who famously got into Harvard because he was present at Parkland when the mass shooting occurred. He uh, was rejected from Harvard and then he reapplied based on the mass shooting and, uh, and the fact that, that he was a prominent activist and, and then he got in. And uh, he tweeted out, you have no right to a gun. You are not a militia. When you're talking about your Second Amendment rights, you're talking about a state's right to have what is today the National Guard. The modern interpretation of the Second Amendment is a ridiculous fraud pushed for decades by the gun lobby. Well, I'm, first of all, amused to see that David Hogg has become not only a pillow magnate, but also a constitutional scholar in his time at Harvard. This is a lie. You, are, you do, in fact, have a right to a gun. And the militia is not, in fact, the nationally run National Guard. Militias at the time of the founding were, in fact, rather informal gatherings of people within the state all of whom own guns in their homes. So he's just wrong on the facts about all of this. But my favorite thing about David Hogg is, is his follow-up. So David Hogg followed this up by saying, well, you know, are you saying that we're coming for your guns or are you saying that we're incompetent? Because it can't be both. No, what I'm saying is that for the left, you're incompetently coming for the guns. That's what I'm saying. Because you don't actually have a plan. There's never a plan. It's just about pure emotional response. A bad thing has happened, therefore do something. The do something routine it, it grows quite old because it turns out that in the real world, you actually have to have serious solutions to the problems. It, it's, it, but it's amazing because, again, the, the virtue signal of just showing emotion about a bad thing that happened is so strong in American culture. So I remember I was, I was in an event one time and it was kind of a, it was an event about climate change. And many of the people who were talking were experts on climate change. I'm talking like climatologists from MIT or Caltech. And they were talking about climate change. And they were saying many of the things that I say on the show. Right? Many of the things I say on the show are things like, I don't have to doubt the IPCC estimates with regard to the possibilities, the range of, of climate change over the course of the century to suggest that many of the solutions that are being proposed just don't work. And there was a very, very famous celebrity who then got up and started yelling at the climate experts, yelling at them, screaming and crying at them, cursing at them. How can you say there's nothing we can do? I've taken all these environmental measures at my, at my own house. I've taken these environmental measures at my own home and I've done these things. And, it, and it's super important that I've done these things. And everybody in the room recognized that what this person was saying had no impact on climate change. And in fact, this person, probably their carbon emissions, I would say, the person taking some private jets, their carbon emissions 
exceed whatever mitigations were taken at, at this person's property. But the response in the room was clapping. Clapping, right? You clap for the people who don't actually have a connection with a political reality. You clap for those people. You cheer for those people. Because again, the tears matter more than the solutions. That is not a way to generate actual political solutions in the country. But I think we're a country that may have moved beyond political solutions. And now it's just about the emotivism. Because again, the implication of when Katy Perry does that sort of stuff is that if you disagree with her on her proposed solutions, which she doesn't even articulate, it's because you don't care. You're fine with people getting shot. And that's the ugliest form of politics. All righty. Coming up, we'll get into some questions in the mailbag. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. <laughs> 